Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Good morning, Locksport. Good morning, Yarram. Hope the sun is shining like it is here in Sale. Bit of a nicer day than yesterday by the looks of it out there. I've only seen a couple of minutes of it this morning, very early, but great to have you with us. A special welcome. If you're new, like Scott said, we're really pleased to have you with us this morning. If you're new in Yarram Locksport, great to have you there as well. Um, or online if you're tuning in for the first time. Um, Connect cards, like Scott said, are a really great way to help us to connect with you, um, get involved in connect groups or find out what's going on, get the newsletter, um, or just random spam that people send. Don't you love spam emails? Said no one ever. Um, hopefully we don't spam you. We don't. We apart from if you get emails from me. All right, if you're in, uh, if you've got your Bibles open on your phone or your devices, if someone next to you is on their device and they're not in the Bible, just give them a little nudge and say, hey, are you here for the right reasons or what? No, no, don't, don't shame them too much, just a little bit. Um, John chapter 4, verses 1 to 15 is where we're looking this morning. We are in the Gospel of John, trekking our way through slowly but surely, um, the whole book over the next however long it takes us with some little breaks in between just to keep you, keep you focused. It's like um, the block started last week and if they did the block back to back, it'd be, it's almost too much once a year now, um, but if they did it back to back, it'd be far too much. Um, not that the Bible's too much, but you know, anyway... Given you enough time, you've hopefully found John chapter... I apologise if it's your first time with us. I'm the senior pastor and this is just, this is just regular. Um, apologise for that. Anyway, John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 15. Let's read together, then we'll dive in. It says this, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptising more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptising, his disciples were, he left Judea and went uh, again to Galilee. He travelled through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. We're just going to pause there. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray that you would be able to teach us your truth, uh, to breathe life into us. God, we pray that we might be people that have that well of uh, living water springing up inside us that overflows to the people around us. Uh, that doesn't just change our lives, but changes the lives of our families, our towns, our schools, our workplaces, God, like it did for this woman. 
Uh, so God, we just thank you for, for this. We thank you for your truth and for your, your spirit at work in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Any people into board games at home? Card games, yeah, a few of us. There's a game that we like to play sometimes. It's called Code Names. Anyone ever heard of Code Names before? If you haven't, I'm not sponsored by Code Names, but it's a great game. Um, the basic idea of it is sort of like Pictionary for words. I don't know if that's true, but it's sort of like you're, you're describing uh, some words on some cards, and you, you've got one word to sort of give a clue for multiple words at a time. And so you might have boat. Um, you might have iceberg, you might have water, and your clue might be Titanic. And then people go, oh, yeah, I can see those three words on the... And the idea is that you sort of get your partner to guess what the three words you're thinking of by just one word clue. Um, I mean, the idea of the game is, is great, and, but you're always thinking sort of uh, retrospectively. You're thinking, how can I get someone to think of something that is already there? What I've come to um, see in Scripture time and again is that when Jesus gives analogies, and here is the analogy of water he's using. He's using a real-world example. He's not, often not using it retrospectively, I don't think. He's not going, how can I, what can I think of that would help people understand what I'm talking about? You know, we believe in a God that created the universe, that created the heavens and the earth, that is outside of time and space, that has minds way more bright than, than you or I. I believe that when he created the world, when he created water, he was thinking, I'm going to create water because it's going to help people understand what the life that I give them is like. When I create food and their, their natural desire to hunger for food, I'm going to... That is for a purpose. It wasn't like he created the world and he thought, oh, now what can I use in my creation already that I've got to help them see? You see what I'm saying? It wasn't a retrospective thing, but rather an intentional part of his design. And I think we see that time and again through Scripture. Um, the God's creation is intentional in its design to help us see and understand the infinite, the creator. It's not a retrospective analogy, but rather an intentional design. And so I want to hone in a little bit on this idea of water and life what it teaches us about um, our spiritual condition, what it means to thirst, what it means to be quenched, and what this eternal life, the living water, represents. Um, you probably are aware, but humans can't survive very long without water. It's essential to living. And you might think, oh, I know someone who only drinks Pepsi, or I know someone who only drinks, or whatever, name a drink. Um, there's water content, generally, in those drinks. You, and fruits and um, vegetables have water content, but you need water. You could not live off um, a packet of chips um, and, say, like pancake syrup that's sort of like watery. Uh, you couldn't live off that. You would quickly dehydrate. You need water to survive. Humans can only survive a short amount of time without water because the body needs it for almost every process. You need it to regulate your body temperature through uh, sweating and breathing. You need it in digestion by forming saliva and breaking down food. Uh, you need it to moisten mucous membranes. Just think about that for a second. It's gross. But your water helps you do that. Helps to balance the pH of your body. It lubricates the joints and the spinal cord. Helps the brain make 
uh, and use certain hormones, helps transport toxins out of the cells. Water is like a great thing if you're sick, just drink. That's why the doctors said drink plenty of water. Gets, flushes the system out. Eliminates waste through the urine and breath. Delivers oxygen throughout the body. I mean, just about everything your body needs to survive, water is involved in. Water is like the... It's life. It's literal life for your body. You need water. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, I am water. I am the living water. And if you come to anything apart from me, you'll be thirsty again. In fact, it won't quench that thirst that your spiritual body, your spiritual nature needs to survive and thrive. You can't get it from anything else. When we think about water and we think about drinking, one of the first things that we think about, or one of the things we can think about, is the thirst we have for it, the thirst. So let's think about this idea of the thirst. Everyone gets thirsty. We all get thirsty. At some point in your life, some point today, you'll get that feeling in your mouth, like your mouth is just drying up, and you're just like, I need some water, or I need some Coke, or whatever it is that you um, might drink. Please go for water first. It's much better for you. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure it's right. Water is great. We all get thirsty. And at some point, you need to drink something that contains some water. You know, if you were dying of thirst, you know, kids are sometimes dramatic, I'm dying of thirst, and they must drink in that moment, or they think they're just going to drop. But the first thing that happens in your body if you are that thirsty is the first sign is that you get a dry mouth. You're just craving something watery. And maybe now, even as I'm talking about it, you're like, oh, anyone thirsty? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Same thing can happen with your spiritual. Anyway, we won't go there. But, you know, you can think about the things of God and become thirsty for him. Anyway, the first thing that happens is you get thirsty. There's, there's that dry mouth. There's that sensation for something liquid in your mouth. But after that, there's other things that happen when you're dehydrated. Uh, You get unusually tired or lethargic. You can get confused. You can get all jittery. You can get irritable. Sort of like uh, hunger, but a little bit different. Anyone irritable when they're hungry? Yeah? Do you ever get irritable in your life? You're probably thirsty for Jesus. You're probably hungry for Jesus. There's probably something spiritual that you need from the Holy Spirit. You can look for it. You can go and buy something new. You can jump on Amazon and buy something new and think, oh, that's what I need. I just need to spend some money. Or I just need to go to the movies. Or I just need to... Whatever it is. But really, that sensation of irritableness or confusion or lethargicness is a symptom, is a sign for your spiritual sense to go, I need Jesus. I need to pray. I need to turn to God. That's what God is doing in your body. That's what God is doing in your spirit, in your soul, in those moments. He's he's putting off alarm bells like he does when we're thirsty. He's putting off alarm bells like you need something. And what you need is not another possession. What you need is not another experience. What you need is me. We get irritable. We get all jittery. We get dizzy when we stand up. Um, You don't pass urine. You get a weak pulse, you get a rapid pulse, you have seizures, a low level of consciousness until you get unconscious. And then your body just starts shutting down organs to try to conserve what water it does have. 
And if you're super thirsty, if you're in that point of dehydration, you will literally drink anything, even if it's not quite right for you. If you're dying of, um, apparently, I'm not, I've never experienced this, but apparently if you're in this point of confusion and dehydration, you'll, anything, you'll drink like coolant from a car, you'll drink uh, water from the ocean, you'll drink anything because you just, your body can't work out what's going wrong. And you just need something liquid in you. You know that, your body knows that, and you'll go for anything. And it's the same with our lives. Jesus is telling us we are all thirsty. We all need to quench that thirst. There is no getting out of it. There's no one immune from being thirsty. And like in the physical sense, there's no one immune from it. There's no one spiritually that's immune from getting thirsty. And some things will give the illusion of quenching that thirst, except that you'll need more and more of it. You'll have to keep going back to it. And it won't quite do what you think it might. There is a craving in you for more than, than anything in this world can satisfy, more than anything in time or space can satisfy. Anything you drink, anything you take in to your life, anything from the created world will leave you thirsty again. It has to come from outside. Like when you're suffering from dehydration, you'll try anything to survive. And in this life, we do the same. So what are some of the things that we might look towards? Well, I think one of the things we all look towards is a thing or a person. We'll think, oh, once I get this possession, once I pay this mortgage off, once I fix this relationship, once I get X, once I get Z, then I will be satisfied. Then my life will be fulfilled. And you can work hard and get the thing only to discover the emptiness that you feel after getting it. Have you ever had that experience where you really longed for something um, Maybe you've been saving up for a certain thing and then you got it and you're like, oh, now what? Like the, the best moment of that was the anticipation of getting it. That was, the, that was the highlight. And that's it. And then there's nothing. And then you have it and then you need something else. You need to replace it. I need something bigger. I need a better house. I need a better car. I need a better job. I need more money. And you go through life never really quenching what your life is really thirsty for. And the woman at the well here is representing this for us. We read the story and we'll, we'll finish the rest of the story next week, hopefully. Uh, but the woman at the well, is, she's going, as you read on, she's going from man to man. And Jesus says to her uh, down the track, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now, the sixth one, is not your husband. Like, what you're, you're going from person to person. You're, you're thinking that the next one will be better, the next one, the next one, the next thing, the next thing. But it's not. It's not going to satisfy. It's not that a relationship is bad. It's not that a house is bad. It's not that things are bad. It's not that money is bad. But they are terrible gods. They are terrible wells to drink your, from your life from. They are terrible things to get satisfaction from, your ultimate satisfaction from. Because you, they will never quench the thirst that your, your, your life desires. Some of us, maybe you think like, oh, well, that's, some people get that, but I've never experienced any of those things that you've described, Brad. And so what you think is wrong with your life is yourself. It's my choices. It's I've never succeeded. I've never got a house. I've never had a good relationship. I've never had a car. I've never had this. Or I've never had what that person has. 
once I had that experience or once I have that possession or once I have that relationship, then I'll be satisfied. And so the problem isn't the things because I've never experienced the things. The problem is me. I haven't done enough. I haven't experienced enough. And so I'm the problem. I've made the wrong problem. I've made the wrong choices. So we can think the problem is the things, the problem is ourselves, or sometimes we might just think the problem is just, it's just the world. It's just bad luck. Some people get it, some people don't. Some people find satisfaction, some people don't, and it's just a matter of luck. And I'm just someone who doesn't get it. I'm just an unlucky one. I'm a good person, just out of luck. This is how I think about my golf game sometimes. I'm just a good golfer, just out of luck. Golf's a lot of luck. Bit of skill, but a lot of luck, I reckon. And every time I play, I'm just not quite lucky enough to be as good as the pros. But I reckon they're just as good as me. I'm joking. But you can think like this, like the universe, the world, life is just against me. And the problem is I'm just in the wrong life. I'm just born into the wrong family. I'm born in the wrong country. I'm born in the wrong time. I haven't, I haven't been in the right place at the right time. I'm just out of luck. And that's not the problem either. The problem is that you haven't discovered Jesus. You haven't come to the well of living water. If you are aware of this, if you are conscious enough in your dehydration for life and you're willing to admit it, you would say, it's not the things, it's not me, it's not my bad luck, it's my God, it's who I'm going to for my source of satisfaction in life. It's what my life is centered on, it's what I worship. And Jesus is going to take this conversation in a direction of what worship really is, and we'll talk about that next week. All these things are ultimately symptoms of the wrong God in your life. You're worshipping something that isn't designed to be worshipped. And you might say, well, I don't worship my house, Brad. I don't worship my family. As in, and what you're thinking is I don't sing to them. I don't clap my hands at them. I don't get the drums out for them. And that's not, that's not what worship is at all. Jesus centers this conversation around what worship is and what worship is really is about which well you're coming to for your life. What you're drawing from. Where you're purpose and meaning and satisfaction and, and life comes from. That's what you worship. And we'll talk about that next week, like I said. And the woman wasn't initially aware, aware of what Jesus was actually talking about. Because her response is, when Jesus says, I can give you water that won't run out, what, what does she say? Well, you don't have a bucket, Jesus. Where's your bucket? Jesus is talking about the spiritual thirst of her life. And she's thinking it's satisfied by something in this world. Where's the bucket? And so what this shows me is that you can think that you understand what Jesus is saying, but still add the earthly thing to it. Like it's some sort of combination. Like the woman was somewhat perplexed, like, okay, I believe you that there's living water, but you still need a bucket. Like there's still the practical, physical earthly thing that you need it's like some sort of combination I need Jesus and my family and my house and my job it's a combination of these things that really satisfies my life where Jesus is saying no it's just me it's just me we'll get to why those things aren't meant to satisfy you like Jesus is I hear what you're saying Jesus but I also don't get it because 
you need a bucket? Where's the bucket? What do you mean it's just Jesus? C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, you've probably heard this quote before, but it's a great one. I want to read it to you. It says this. It says, The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. On the other and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I'll, I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life, to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. The desire of your life is never to be quenched by something of this world. It can't be. It can't be. Everyone is thirsty, but not everyone's thirst is quenched. Everyone is thirsty. And so then we get to the source or the spring that Jesus talks about, the well. And I want to look at the two things that the source or the, the well, the spring of life, does. It, does, it purifies and it's reliable. It purifies and it's reliable. This is maybe a personal question for you, but does anyone pee? You probably don't want to um, raise your hand for this one. But some people pee in the ocean. They think that's okay. Some people in a swimming pool, they think that's okay. Bathtub? Yeah, probably not. In your cup of water? Definitely not. Large amounts of, of water? Some people, and some people will say, definitely not. And let me tell you, there's people that do. And so if you swim in the ocean, hate to break it to you, it's mixed. And there's lots of sea creatures that I'm pretty sure they have. <laughs> anyway, don't think about it too much. But you wouldn't drink the ocean water, would you? Even if it was, um, what, if, what if it wasn't salty? Oh, maybe. Pool water? No. At what point does this pollution in the water get out of the water enough for it to be pure? You aren't going to drink the ocean, nor the pool, probably not the bath water. But if I was to give you a cup of water from the bath and you knew that my daughter Eden had been in it and who knows what she does in it, and then I just tipped it out and then just filled it up without washing the cup, would you drink it? Probably most of us would say no. It's still not... Maybe if I was really thirsty, I would, but I probably would know. I would want to wash that cup first. I would want to wash that cup. If you have a polluted stream of water, how are you to unpollute it? You could try to sift out the polluted material, but if there is a pollution source, you're going to need to replace it with non-polluted water. 
Verse 13 and 14, let's read it again. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. You see, the source of life and the water that Jesus offers is pure. It gets rid of the pollution over time and its source is never ending. When you have, if you've got a polluted uh, body of water and there's a, a source of water coming in and a source of pollution coming in, there's no point just putting more pure water in. You need to go where the pollution is coming in and replace that. If the polluted water is coming in, that needs to be replaced with non-polluted water. Otherwise, you'll never flush it out. But as soon as you replace that spring or that source of water, is the water pure? Not straight away, is it? It takes time for that purification to happen. You see, when Jesus is the well of our life, we can think, well, why isn't my life perfect? Why isn't everything together? Why do I still feel unsatisfied at times? Why do I still feel irritable or confused? The idea is that the purification process, or the Bible uses this word sanctification process, happens over time. But it happens as we tap into that well of life. That living water, time and again, as we base our life on it, it slowly but surely purifies the whole system. And it takes time. But the, the idea is the longer that we tap into it, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more purifying uh, the system is for our body, for our system, for our spiritual walk. The more pure we are, the more sanctified we are. The effects in our life are realized over time. The longer the source is there, the more pure the water flows out from uh, not just to us, but to others as well. It's a purifying source. And it's a reliable source. The problem with quenching your life's thirst with anything other than Jesus is that it's prone to dry out at some point. If you use things, material objects, relationships, um, if you use experiences, they're prone to run dry at some point. Money can run out, careers can end, houses can be destroyed, families can break down, relationships can end. And whenever you find your life source from one or more of these things, they can be unreliable and they can run dry. But until they, until they do, they can give the mirage of satisfying. And I think that's part of the problem with our Western culture is that we have so much of this. And so it's sort of just a, it's a, we're a bit numb sometimes to this because we can just keep adding more to our life. But if these things break down, if they're taken away from us, we can be left with confusion, irritableness, unconsciousness, unaware of what is happening in our life. But what Jesus offers can't run out or can't run dry. It's not from this world. It's out, from outside this world. It's an infinite source of life, enough to quench your thirst and enough to quench the thirst of anybody else that would come to it. There is no restriction. There's no rationing required. There's no water restrictions on his well. Jesus' living water is purifying and reliable. And then we get to the eternal life, the living water that Jesus talks about. What is the eternal life that Jesus offers? Because we can read this and we can think, all right, so I come to Jesus, I come to his living water, and it's a living water for eternal life. So I get to go to heaven. That's what it's all about. I get to go to heaven. It's a ticket to heaven. And what I think Jesus is trying to tell us here and tell us the Samaritan woman is that it's not about 
the quantity of your life. It's not about how long your life goes for, but it's about the quality of your life. While there is eternity to spend with Jesus, and that's, that's true, it's not what really Jesus is talking about here. And we can especially see that as we read on in the story. The water the woman is getting is referring to the men that she's married and lived with, the earthly source of the life that she is chasing. And Jesus is offering a new living water that gives life, that gives satisfaction. You remember the purpose of water in your body is to sustain your life. Without it, you are dead. Without it, you are dying, unconscious. In the same way, without Jesus, you are spiritually dead. And you are in a state of unconsciousness not even realising your severe dehydration. You can be numb to the void of purpose and love that exists in your life and never be woken up to the divine purpose and love that exists in Jesus. So this eternal life, I think, satisfies these universal soul thirsts that we have. And I want to talk about two of them quickly as we finish. Purpose and love. There is purpose in the eternal life that Jesus offers. If there is no God, or you can't know there is a God, if you're Think, well, um, if you think from an atheist perspective or an agnostic's perspective, um, then you have to come to the conclusion that you're an accident, that your life is just a... It just happened. And there's no purpose behind it. There's no creative design behind it. And if there's no creative design behind it, then there's no ultimate purpose in your life. There can't be. Or you believe there is a creator and that there is a creator that has a design and a plan and a purpose. And this is part of the living water that Jesus has for you. It's this purpose. You don't have to live wondering, wondering what, what you are here for. He gives you that. He gives you his plan. He says, I made you and I know what you were made for. Ephesians 2.10 puts it like this. He says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And it's more than just being the good person. It's more than just doing the good works. There is more purpose than that. There is purpose in knowing God. There is a purpose in, in understanding who you are in Christ, who God has created you to be. There is purpose in helping others to know God and helping others uh, know who God has created them to be. There is purpose in knowing that we were made for a distant country, that we were made for a heavenly country, a new heaven and a new earth, that this life is a journey to an ultimate destination. There is purpose in the living water and there is love in the living water. You know, one thing that I'm super aware of as a parent and becoming more and more aware of is that every word and every action of my life affects deeply those of my children. Sometimes I'm thinking to myself, if I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, I can ruin their lives in an instant. And maybe I'm being a little bit overdramatic. But then I remember that there is no one who is perfect. There is no perfect parent. And if you think, I've perfected this parenting thing, let me tell you, you haven't. There are moments where you're not perfectly patient or perfectly loving or perfectly wise. And so in, in all of our experiences, with all of the parents that we've experienced and all the parenting experience that we offer, there is dysfunction in it because there is sin attached to it. There is a bar that we've all missed. But do you know what the hope that the gospel brings, that the living water brings, that there is a heavenly father that loves perfectly, perfectly wise, perfectly loving, perfectly welcoming, perfectly accepting, 
perfectly patient. No one is the perfect parent, but he is the perfect father. And he loves us perfectly. I can confidently say to my kids, God loves you. He's always present. He will never fail you. He will never not listen to you. He will never not be patient with you. He, will, he is always gracious. He is always wise. And that's true for you as well. That you have a heavenly father who loves you perfectly. And that is part of the living water that Jesus offers. He is always able to listen. He is always present. And we were made for this kind of love. This kind of perfect love is what helps us function as human beings, hopefully, more perfectly. It's that purifying process. The source of life that Jesus offers, the water of life, he alone can give it. And we can only see broken mirrors of it in time and space around us through the other people. Eternal life is the purpose and love that Jesus gives. And so as the band comes back up, as we um, spend some time worshipping, I want you to remember that everyone is thirsty, but not everyone's thirst is quenched. Jesus' living water is purifying and reliable, and eternal life is the purpose and love that Jesus gives. And that we need to wake up and taste what Jesus is giving to us. Some of us sometimes are in an irritable, confused, maybe even semi-unconscious state, unaware of what's happening to us, and realize that the things of this world, though they look like they might quench our soul's thirst, are just mirages and will leave us wanting for more. Maybe you've been spending too much of your life, too much of your time recently, chasing after things that aren't designed to quench your thirst. Maybe there's been a relationship. Maybe there's been possessions or money or experience. And you've been chasing after because you think, I just, there's something in me missing. There's this emptiness, there's this void. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I alone can quench that thirst. Can we stand and pray together? Lord Jesus, we just thank you this morning that you are a God who loves us perfectly. God, that you satisfy our deepest soul's thirst. And Lord, in those times in our life where we feel confused or irritable or dizzy or worn out and lethargic, God, would you, your spirit help us to remember that those are symptoms of our need of you, that we are thirsty for the living water. We are thirsty for Jesus. And this morning, God, we want to come back to that well, that living water. And we want to remember the life that you have for us, the life filled with purpose and love, the life that fills us and overflows to those around us, that purifies us. God, for people here this morning that feel like they are thirsty, that they have gone from thing to thing, person to person, experience to experience, God, and they're worn out. God, would your spirit drench their soul this morning? 
fill them afresh. Holy Spirit, we're aware of your presence in this place this morning. We choose now to respond to you, to worship you, not just in song, but with our whole life centered on you.